0: delvin dragon radio i'm your host ml rustrack today's show is brought to you by zephyr jewelry and i was here with special guest today art one welcome
1: hi thank you for welcoming and thank you for having me on the show
0: now you have two wonderful books out which was the first
1: the first one was self-inflicted death sentence i wrote that when i first started my recovery so
0: okay so how do we get into this
1: Well, one of the best things is probably to tell the story on how I ended up getting to where I actually wrote a book. It wasn't really my choice to start with. I had Mm -hmm. had, uh, checked into the VA facility up in Portland, Oregon, realizing I'd just tried to jump off a bridge and uh, thought maybe that was not the best way to end my world. I should probably try something different. So I checked in for uh, rehabilitation. And as part of that, uh, I was challenged once I got into the program uh, for recovery was to journal. And uh, I found I wasn't very good at journaling. I just didn't get the rhythm of writing long sentences about how I felt. And uh, I remember as a kid, I enjoyed poetry. So I just started writing some poetry. So each week um, before I would go to the meeting that we'd have with a group of vets, Vietnam and and, uh, and the uh, Afghan war vets that were there, I would write a poem and then they would ask me to read it to the group. And then the group would discuss my poetry. And I found as time went on, Not only did we get people to talk more in this group that had never talked before, these diehard Marines that just didn't have it in them to talk about their inner feelings, suddenly they thought I was writing about them. So I was encouraged after six weeks to stay longer. I'd written six poems. And so I ended up staying 37 weeks, writing 37 poems um, about my experiences in recovery and then reflecting back my experiences as an alcoholic and just sharing them. That's how I got started.
0: Well, that is a wonderful start. I mean, thank you for your service, being a veteran. Oh, thank you. Um, Being a former military wife, I understand the whole, here's a journal, this is what you do. It it doesn't work for everyone. Journaling does not work for every person. It works for most people, but not everyone. So it's great to have a different out and you are able to find out out through poetry.
1: I did, and I found it not only Easier for me to express myself because poetry allows for the emotions to be written in shorter, shorter sentences. But I found that with rhythm, um, I could also create a cadence in my writing, and made it easier to write it. I could easily go from one point to the next of the story. What I envisioned if I wrote it in long paragraph, what I put in one verse in a poem might take me three or four pages of writing to try to get that same emotion spread out. This mm-hmm. poetry allows us to make it much more concise. So I was able to drive my personal message forward to share with others to see if it was anything like theirs. And if it was, could they learn from it as I was? Mm-hmm. That became kind of a teaching mechanism for me to think about. As I wrote these, I was trying to encourage people to not only look at themselves, but to look at what I would written and see if there's a relationship that could, that could help them.
0: That is wonderful. I mean, to be able to not only choose to write, but to use your writing to help others. That is something we all strive for.
1: Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, well, I originally taught. I, I taught at the School of uh, Aerospace Medicine when I was in the military in San Antonio. And I left academia only for the reason that I had to grow old to make more money. I had to wait for someone to, to re- retire or, or get out of the civil service or the military in order for me to get promoted. I didn't like that feeling. I wishing someone had to disappear from their career that they loved for me to mm-hmm. make more money. Mm-hmm. So I, I got out of that business and got into the auto industry to create training companies for the car business. And I still had that passion for teaching. And I never really wrote anything other than lesson plans and made visuals for the training companies. But when I decided that it was time for me to check out of alcohol and to get into recovery, that old teaching style came back to me. I've been training for a long time in the auto industry. And so I just decided to take the two passions I had. I wanted to get in recovery, and I wanted to have long-term sobriety. And I wanted to help people at the same time. Compiled them both, and here I am.
0: <laughs> and you've been at least 10 years sober, sober. I have
1: 10 years, eight months, and a couple days. Yeah. One day at well, a time.
0: One day at a time. That's all we can do. And you wrote the second book, Free Br- Booze Cancelled.
1: I did. And I wrote that last year during the uh, pandemic. I found myself a lot of idle time. And I was talking to a lot of my friends who had were in some phase of sobriety who started drinking again. And I kept looking for the reasons that they were, they were short-cutting this adventure they'd been on for sobriety, and they found boredom, nothing to do. They found lots of reasons to drink. And if anybody was looking to drink during that time, there was lots of reasons to do it, I guess. So I decided to start looking at my 10 years of sobriety and what was making me strong and what was keeping me focused on my sobriety rather than the temptation to go elsewhere. I wrote 10 poems to represent those 10 years. And in doing that, I really thought that... Um, I would put a lesson, three questions at the end of each poem, so that I could uh, share those with uh, everybody as a way for them to think about what I just read.
0: And that's a good way to get not only get your poetry up, but also your teaching. You're making them th- them think. Has any of the Elanon or AA uh, groups reached out to you to put help put these into their systems?
1: I am working with a group, in fact, because of the pandemic last year, I really, I I really didn't get too involved with it. I formed a new company over the last 10 years in the auto industry training. So I focused on that a lot and didn't really promote my first book very much. So I did the second edition in December of last year. And in doing that, I I also completed this book. So they were both published at the same time. And I have my first outdoor presentation under a tent, COVID-free with everybody with COVID testing on the 22nd of April here in Palm Springs. So. I'm back on on stage, back live. I'm looking forward to sharing the poetry and share my story, which is what we do as a speaker for the AA. And in sharing my story, I also get this feeling I can, there's somebody, at least one person, if I can help one person in that group, then I've done my purpose for that meeting and I move on to the
0: Right. I mean, you have the VA, your veteran. So you have the health system that, Let's say face it, their VA system to help alcoholics is wonderful. It's in-house a lot of times and then sometimes outpatient. Military family.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) of course.
0: Of course. So I mean, there's a lot of things there that you can do to promote the book, but it's not just promoting the book, it's teaching others who have been in your shoes to find sobriety.
1: Correct. You know, if I, and I ask people to think when they say, why did you write poetry? And I said, I want you to think back. And if I were to say this, Mary had a little lamb, her fleece was white as snow. And almost everybody can remember that stupid little line from a poem we learned when we were eight or nine years old in our school system. And I say, and everywhere that Mary, they said, went, the lamb was, and they'd say, sure to go. And I said, so we have this capacity in our brain to remember music. And and poetry is basically becomes music if you sing it. Right. Um, and so I don't sing it, although I feel like I might be able to rap some of it, I guess. But, um, but I don't really, I don't, I don't sing it, but I put a rhythm to it, knowing that the mind itself has that ability to remember things. If there's a point that makes sense to you, you're more likely to remember if it rhymes than if it's just a sentence or a paragraph. So the power of, of the written word that way, I think is what makes my books very unique, especially in an alcohol addiction. There's just nobody that's spent the whole time to write full book, full of poetry about all these different phases, some painful, some very raw, some very sensitive, um, very, uh, very truthful, exactly how I felt, what I went through, how I saw myself when I was drinking, how I think other people saw me, how to make amends, all the things that are important for addiction. I was able to put into a book and a poem Mm -hmm. and just title that poem for that one phase of life and to write it, I hope with enough sense and direction that someone could look at that says, wow, if I followed those steps or if I did that, that could help me. Then I've done my job. Then, then I've done what I felt like I needed to do to share.
0: That is awesome. Would you mind sharing one of your poems with us?
1: No, I wouldn't mind at all. In fact, I have my first book. Um, another thing that I did is, you know, when you're writing for vets in a, in a room of vets, you've got mm-hmm. a pretty captive audience. You know, they're stuck there. Some of them were Ordered by the court, some were ordered by the VA to keep their rank, and others were like me, I volunteered to go. I had a captive audience. So when I read my poetry, if I didn't get those results, a counselor would get mad, right? So he was looking for these people to get involved. So I would go to coffee shops and read a new poem that I'd written. A bunch of strangers who were there to hear kids play rock and roll music and the new things that they'd written. And there were very few adults there, but I would always get there and be number four or five on the list. I could be kind of in the center. Mm-hmm. And I would read one or two of my poems, and I was shocked at the standing ovations I would get for a bunch of people, strangers in a coffee shop with their kids. And so I realized I had impact, and I found out I had some favors. So let me share one of the first favorites, just a couple of verses out of it. This one's called The Devil Inside Me. It was uh, the first one where I actually looked in the mirror and thought about how I felt with this alcohol addiction. Uh, it says, there's this devil inside me, this insidious creep, that lingers there for the taste of her brew. It's a drug or a drink that she wants in her life and doesn't care about the things it will do. She'll take all your life and wrinkle it up, twisting and turning you into a state of denial. She will ruin your life and those that you touch for your lifetime, not just for a while. Oh, you'll tell her to leave as your strongest of voices and you'll seek help just to drive her away. But this devil inside you, this insidious creep, drives a wedge in your soul just to stay. What do you think about the power of those three verses? Um, and what I was trying to say about how I felt inside.
0: Yeah, you take the alcohol. It doesn't matter if you're a veteran or civilian, or if you've never been in the military or have any connection with the military. If you drink, no, I've seen this across board, the board. Those who drink and are alcoholics, always drinking, is going to tear a wedge in your family. It doesn't uh, matter if course. it's with your kids, with your wife, with your significant other, your work, whatever. It's going to drive that wedge there, but you're not going to see the wedge. You're going to see the drink.
1: And right. you chase that drink. It's it's uh, In groups, I always say if I spent time, years traveling, and when I would get into a new town, and I would be giving training for the auto industry. I would look map out bars that I could go to mm-hmm. and I would say well when you become sober why don't you attend AA meetings And you say they're difficult to find and I would say well I spent hours trying to find the right bar I could certainly find the right meeting it's the yeah. same strategy if you're looking for it you can find it so if you really want to be sober and you want to get the gift of others going on that road to help you you can find a, a sobriety meeting anywhere in the country. you can find them online of course now but so it's a you're right you recognize that you have the problem that's the first step is you realize you have a problem then you have to confess that you have the problem to someone mm-hmm. um, and then you have to make the commitment that you're going to work on this problem you want to become sober and then you have to start thinking about all the people that you have in your life that you have to give amends to and another thing I struggled with is that a lot of people during my period of drinking have passed away so I wrote a poem about a prayer you know about Hoping these people could see me and maybe when I got up to heaven and saw them, maybe they would forgive me for anything that I said or did to them while they were here. So. When you go down this addiction road, you have so many possibilities to discover who you really are and who you could help other people, because you traveled the road. If you want to be honest and you want to tell the truth about it, I wrote another book, another poem right after this one that was called Romancing Death. I'll just share the first couple of verse um, on that one, because, again, it talks about I, I wasn't sure how I really looked at my alcohol, because it became more important than my friends, as you Mm -hmm. said, more important than my family, more important than meetings, more important than lots of things in my life. And so I had to have this relationship with this. So this was called Romancing Death, another one that people really like for me to read. It says, I'm not sure the day I fell in love. I know that it happened sometime years ago. It was not a special occasion or an event in my life. To be honest, I don't remember, and I really don't know. And when it happened back in those days of my youth, I must have embraced it with deep love in my heart. I let it be my other half, my new partner in life. And through thick and thin, we were never apart. It would warm my whole body, and as youth, it felt good. With pain would attack me and eat me alive. She would ease all my thoughts, my deepest inner self. So with her my life, I knew I could survive. So... I I crossed this point in my life where I liked the taste of this, uh, of alcohol, this disease consumed me so much that I embraced it as if it were my friend. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so hard because it's the only friend I had left. When you go through all of these people, your family, your friends, your relationships, and they all disappear because they don't understand me as a drunk. This this lady, this booze, this part of my life understood me completely. It was always there. I could just taste it and relax. And so we don't look
0: at, well, my family doesn't understand me. My relatives don't understand me. My kids don't understand me. My work doesn't understand me, but my beer understands
1: me in a heartbeat. And it's always there.
0: It's always there. I just,
1: you're talking in advance. It's like loving, loving a fridge. It's there. And you say, okay, well, you know, it's a bad day and you have another cold beer or a glass of champagne or whatever your booze or drug of choices. And you're happy. Right. And when you when you look at your life, and, and it took me a while. In my book, I only wrote the first few verse, first two chapters of this book in poetry that I wrote. I wrote about my experience at the time. I didn't want to go back and look at why I was an alcoholic. I wanted to say I was looking under my Christmas tree and there was no presents, but there was a gift there, and that's that. I wasn't drunk anymore. You know, I was looking for rationale on why I was staying sober, but I didn't want to dig, in, dig inside and it because it wasn't until my fifth chapter when I was writing this, about twenty poems into it, that I realized. That I hadn't been honest with myself yet. I hadn't let the reader know. Here, here's here's my guilt. I I I fell in love with this stuff, and I I she was my friend, and I, I had to get a divorce from her. I mean, I had to really struggle, mm-hmm. and I wanted people to know that it's it's not just writing about I'm sober now. This is really great. You have to really deep dig inside and see who you really were at that time.
0: See, my and dad... then put my name on
1: the book, you know. Mm-hmm. So then you put your name on your book, and all these people that I was a business guy, I had training companies, that people saying oh, I didn't know why. You know, I didn't know art with this, but my,
0: you know, my friends and my lawyer
1: said, hey, put your name out there. If you want to be honest, you got to tell people, this is who you were. This is where you are. And this is how you can help. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did.
0: You have to be honest with yourself. My dad drank up until the day he passed. Now he did taper off near the end, but he wasn't an alcoholic, but, you know, because he never said that, but he would always have his beer because his beer was his best friend
1: always in your hand mm-hmm. always company and if it you set it down and it felt light you just fill it with enough yes. it was easy. It, right. it's easy and then the friends with yeah. the real friends would disappear and you and they would tell me that you drank too much and I'd say well how dare you judge me and even though I wasn't a I wasn't a person who drank to where I passed out, I didn't have mm-hmm. auto accidents. I never got a ticket. I never stumbled downstairs. Mm-hmm. I never got in a fight. I, I was a very social drinker, but I definitely drank too much. I ended up with a soft legito, uh, varices, which is where the blood vessels in your throat are fried and you start mm-hmm. bleeding out of your throat. And uh, it happened at a party with a whole bunch of people. But it happened after they had left. I didn't realize what was happening at first. And when I finally checked myself in. The emergency room, everybody screamed and started yelling, This guy's gonna die, he's blowing up all his blood. And literally, I was given last rites and kind of written off that I was done. And later, days later, I came to, I was in intensive care, and this, this doctor had come in and saved me. And I heard some of the commotion, but I was going in and out of consciousness at the time. And I quit drinking, but it was just before my 60th birthday. So, on my 60th, a friend who I consider to be a friend gave me about a half an inch of. Champagne in the champagne fruit. Mm -hmm. I took that sip to toast turning 60 and being sober. And little did I know that one little sip would be in the liquor store that night. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And then all of a sudden, eight months of drinking started where I actually had stopped on a bridge to jump and a truck driver honked his horn at me. And I looked at him, and even though he didn't say a word to me, he had these piercing blue eyes and a dirty hat. And he, his mind or his eye said to me, don't jump you have the purpose. And that's when I checked myself in. But I relapsed that first time and then checked myself in and seriously made the commitment to quit drinking. Um, and here I am one day at a time. I'm, uh, and I'm giving back as, as much as I can.
0: Well, I was, we thank you had, for giving back because my dad, we had him in a hospital several times over the last 30 years for cirrhosis of the liver. We Mm -hmm. all hear cirrhosis of the liver with drinking. We all hear this. And how many times did he quit, you know, just to get well enough to drink again? Lots. Yeah. Every (laughs) few years. I mean,
1: yeah, exactly. Lots. We all, because that's, that's, that's the cycle. I always say that relapse from drinking is part of recovery if, mm-hmm. if, if if you finally get the lesson of drinking but a lot of people relapse until they die a lot of people yeah. never never try quitting and then some go long term and then suddenly I had a friend who had 12 years who suddenly started thought they could handle that one drink and they started all over again I yeah. mean it's it's a disease we, we have as alcoholics it's, we have this compassion and this love for alcohol and if we taste it we
0: it is. It is. It is. It is. A, we have to call it what it is, a disease. It's mm-hmm. not a willpower because even if you quit for 10, 20 years, you can still relapse just sure. from that one
1: drink. Little sip. I yeah. found out. Mm-hmm. And I would never thought I would have drink again after being in the hospital with all these tubes and throwing up all this blood and a priest coming in to give me last rites. Mm-hmm. I would have thought, there's no way. And then suddenly the, the sip Activated the disease, the mind disappears, the disease takes over, and I'm back.
0: Yeah, and then how many people have relapsed over COVID? What do oh. we do? We're oh. in our house, we're trapped, we can't do anything. Well, I can go get my old lady friend over here. <laughs> you
1: <know? laughs> like, well, you know, bless blessed. bless it, I don't, uh, I, I, I have a, a a relationship that drinks. And so I've learned to adapt over the years that I I have to be acceptance of everyone. Mm -hmm. And if people drink and they drink to their moderation and they're content with that light, as long as I am there to help them get from point A to point B, Mm -hmm. because I am the sober driver. You know, I used to be the, uh, the, you know, I'd say I always be the DD, but I was the designated drunk at most parties. And now I'm the designated (laughs) driver at most. You know, I changed, I have the same initials. I just changed my role. Um, and I take her and her girlfriends out if they want to go out. I don't want them to go out and just have one glass of wine or two. If they want to go out and enjoy themselves, I'll be their driver. I'll take them out. I'll make sure they get home.
0: Right. And of
1: course, Uber and other programs like Lyft have helped out a lot of people, but that they doesn't can. cure the problem of drinking. It just yeah. cures the problem of going from point A to point B. That's all. <laughs> you
0: know. Exactly. I'm always the <laughs> designated driver when I go out.
1: Now, were you ever a drinker yourself?
0: Uh, I went through a few bouts of drinking, yes. Uh, when I was 18, I was drinking underage. Wound up a beautiful daughter <laughs> because of it. Of
1: course. And,
0: yeah. But I'm not that person. That's not who I wanted to be. So then I relapsed again when I, she was about six years old. And then I was sober for 10 years. Good for so, you. That's,
1: that's strange. Yeah, You know, I mean, people, when we tell people we're sober, unless you're around someone who's on that journey, a lot of people say, oh, mm-hmm. that's nice. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize what it is that we have to commit to internally, as well as our external environment to be able to maintain that status as
0: society. And I was that closet drunk. No one knew a drink. Oh, I was social. <laughs> yeah. See, I was not the one that drank around people. I was the closet drunk that was going through a fifth of Jim Beam every night.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a tough disease. But you know, there's rewards of sobriety. You know, I, I, uh, when I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout, and I never really thought about that scouting as an Eagle Scout and all the things that I accomplished as a Boy Scout. My grandfather was an executive scout. I didn't have a father, and I had a minister to kind of substitute for my posture, so I had good figures helping me. Mm-hmm. But as a scout, we had these 12 rules, and I hadn't really thought about them for years and years, especially as an alcoholic and traveling around the country. And I was at the Dallas airport about six months before COVID, and there was a a group of scouts with their leaders, and they were going on a jamboree. And I walked up because I saw how nice and clean and neat they looked, and I thanked them for their service, like you would a military person. And they all looked at me, and they said, our service. And I said, yes, you are the service of the community. You are the people that are going to go out and empower leadership. You are the guys and girls that are in a program to teach you all the skill sets you're going to need in life that's going to make you so much stronger. And they said, will you ever scout? I said, "Well, yeah." I was. They said, how long ago? And I said, well, I'm well, so, 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 um, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they looked at me and, and they said, well, do you still remember anything? I said, ah, sure, of course I do. I said, I, then I said, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, triple 50, brave, clean, and reverent, mm-hmm. which are the 12 rules. And they their mouths, I mean, literally these kids with all of the electronics, their mouths dropped to the ground and they looked at me and said, he still is. And I said, once a scout, always a scout. Yeah. And the scout master came up to me as I was heading leaving the group and he said, That's the best lesson these kids ever got. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So when I came back home, I wrote a poem called Giving Back Like a Boy Scout. Let me share a little bit of that one. Please. That's in my new book, by the way. Please. Um and it's quite popular with uh with people because they can relate to it, especially if they've ever been around the Boy Scout. So I'll share just a little bit. It says, I look back now at my newfound role as a sober member among all my friends. Uh, when, if they drink, it doesn't bother me. I am and I completed all of my amends. I realized too, I was not alone in this venture to stop my drinking was a higher power and an AA group helped me to change my stinking thinking. So as I sobered up, I recalled my past as a boy scout in my small town where my grandfather was an executive scout and made me toe the line and not fall down. The oath we took as a scout those days had 12 laws that we had to make, and uh, live by them as, as, as we did back then. As an adult, I learned to faith. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, and helpful. He is friendly, courteous, and kind. He's obedient, cheerful, and thrifty, brave and clean, reverent all the time. Well, these laws defined my character. And now I'm sober. I want them back. And to have these, these lives, I need to give to be charitable, to help at last. So let's talk about giving back and some things that you can do to share your purpose and your newfound love with others, not just for you. You can volunteer to be a hospital, help the sick, the last, the dying. You can drive them, hug them, and take care of them instead of your days of booze and lying. You can help a stranger who needs a hand or buy groceries and carry them home. You can pull some weeds or some grass up at someone's house for an elder person who lives alone. You can volunteer as a community event. You can hand out uh, tickets so that they can get in. You can help others pick up their trash and junk on the streets in the town that you are now in. You can volunteer for a youth group cause or you can take your sobriety story out loud. You can help a church raise some needed funds and you can volunteer where it's allowed. There are a hundred more things that you can do if you understand how important fact that being where you are from your addiction past is a gift that some will never get back. So then I went on and just shared the, the culture of how you can be trustworthy. I, I took them and paraphrased them like this. Is you can be trustworthy for the things you do and say. You can be loyal to yourself. You can be helpful to the folks out there and be friendly with whom you help. You can be courteous to everyone you meet. You can be kind, even if you disagree. You can be obedient to the time you have and be cheerful for all to see. You can be thrifty with your time each day and be brave as you tackle empty hours. You can stay clean and sober with every day and be reverent to your highest power. So. I hadn't found that for a lot of my life as I transgressed with alcohol addiction and traveled. I mean, I had sexual addiction. I had lots of issues. I just piled up in my, because I was fortunate enough, I was traveling everywhere and I was single and I just had this life that I thought was perfect. And all of my friends who socialized with me said, this guy's got a mate. He flies around the world. He meets all these people. He gets premium drinks. And they went on and on. But I was living a disease. I wasn't living a life. Mm -hmm. And. Getting back to thinking about being a Boy Scout really kind of puts it in perspective for me that those are all the characters that any human being would want, whether you've ever drank or you haven't drank. But be able to go back and re-grab them into my life after I quit drinking was the ultimate power as a human being to be able to Right. I them.
0: mean, those are characteristics that we all need. Mm-hmm. We need to grow, we need to help people, we need to be trustworthy. Everything's there that we need. But We don't need the drinks and we don't need the hate and we don't need to vent our frustrations upon others and take it out on them.
1: I agree. There's a famous quote out there that I just saw the other day that I was reminded. It says, if you'd find addiction, addiction is giving up everything for one thing Mm -hmm. and recovery is giving up one thing to acquire everything. You think great. how simple that is. It's all based on just the addiction. It For is. Your life to be good or bad.
0: It doesn't matter what the addiction is. You go after that one thing. That's right. But where can our listeners and our viewers find you?
1: Well, I have a website. It's my name. It's www.artwedmore.com. On there, there are links to the books. I also do volunteer uh, things with uh, charitable organizations, an MC. I'm also a speaker. I also have a training company, but I'm recently getting excited about launching, this is my newest project, is I am um, looking at getting into high schools in Southern California first because I live in Palm Springs, California, to be able to share my poetry in an assembly of interested students that are over 16 that would like to hear a story from a truly passionate alcoholic who's sober who could share insight to realize that the cost of the drink isn't what you pay for it in the bar the cost of the drink is what it costs you in your life depending on how much of that you decide to spend on it and I'd like to be able to share that in high schools for free just to give the volunteers
0: well that's a great program you might want to pair up with authors in the classroom it's through skype and then you can take your message globally.
1: So authors in the classroom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have my personal assistant here. She's writing it down. Sorry oh, oh, no. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I get
0: it 100%. I mean, we all need that assistant that we have to take our notes.
1: Yeah, because I, 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 I want to be active with you. I want to see you. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um,
0: also, yeah, authors in the classroom will take it globally. And it's a free program since we're all about the free. We are. We just want to get the message out. True.
1: And by the way, you can also buy my books on Amazon or Kindle books. They're available. I give them away a lot.
0: (laughs) We do that, especially when they're great messages that need to be out there. We give away so much.
1: But thank you. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much for being on the show today.
1: You're great. Thank you so much. And for all of our
0: listeners and our viewers, happy reading.